What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because the future favors free agents. For better or worse, we're in the middle of a massive labor shift from employees to entrepreneurs. And in this episode, I want to try and equip you with some of the skills, frameworks, and mindsets to help navigate that shift. If you want to make money online on your own terms, there's a million ways to get it done, but it usually boils down to one thing, helping people. But how do you help them and how do you get paid to do it? To help me walk through this stuff is Austin L. Church, and the L is important because if you Google just Austin Church, you're going to get churches in Austin. In any case, Austin is a writer, a brand consultant. He's an online entrepreneur. He's been making his living online for the last 12 years with some of the exact strategies we're talking about today. You can learn more about him at austinlchurch.com. And if you hit up sidehustlenation.com slash austinl, you'll find the full text summary of our call over there. This online business blueprint with Austin starts with a little introspection. Ready? Let's do it. I think you begin with the skills that you've got. And I think particularly for folks who are newer to freelancing, they often discount their skills. They don't even necessarily know what all their skills are because if you're good at something, you can have a blind spot around it. And so I'll often just encourage new freelancers or even some of my coaching clients to do something really simple, which is set a timer, make a list, try to list out all of your skills. And you can ask friends and family, hey, what am I good at? And you can go back to jobs in your past, even education and say, okay, what was I doing at that job? Oh, like inventory or data entry or research or writing or design, whatever it is. But start with a comprehensive list of all your skills. And at least then you know what you've got to work with. What do you say to the person who has a list of softer skills after they go through this exercise where it's maybe less immediately apparent how to turn that around into a freelance service? Well, it's like, okay, if I put down writing or web design, sure, I can easily turn that around. I can see how that would be a freelance business, but not everybody is going to have that in their inventory there. You only have to be one lesson ahead. And so when you look at soft skills and you're immediately discounting or disqualifying the skills that you have, keep in mind that people are hiring you to make their lives easy and your soft skills, even something like customer support, something like putting people at ease. Hey, I'm pretty good at keeping my inbox managed. A lot of those softer skills you really need to help you support the business and grow the business. Some of the harder skills, whether it's copywriting or something even like Instagram management, you can actually take a class these days on Skillshare, Creative Live. You can go pick up skills on YouTube. There is so much amazing free training online to help you develop hard skills. So those are the two things. If you feel like you don't have a marketable hard skill, well, go get one and you don't even have to pay for the training a lot of the time. Meanwhile, your soft skills, those may be the ones that help differentiate you and enable you to create a really great experience for your freelance clients. Yes. If you don't have any marketable skills, go and get one. By all means, you have the ability to learn new skills. There's a post on Side Hustle Nation about the most in-demand freelance skills or something going on right now. So I encourage you to uh, check that out. We'll link that up in the show notes for you. But yes, your your skill set is not fixed. And so that's an important thing to take away here. Austin, I want to turn this around and get your take on this. What do you think of the so-called skills trap or maybe the freelancers trap where they get stuck selling their own skills and that limits their earning power down the road. Well, I'm a graphic designer, so I do graphic design, where one interesting example from the podcast archives was Russ Perry's design pickle. And he said, Nick, the truth is, I sucked at design. It was never about him doing the work. It was about him playing matchmaker between customers and talented graphic designers. And so I'm just curious to get your take on 
this so-called skills trap. If you're if you're the person coming up blank on the skills inventory, is there another path? Again, such a good question. I think once you get a few reps in, you have a few at bats, maybe you even start to make some money. You may find yourself in that trap. I sometimes call it like the feast or famine roller coaster. And you have these ups and downs with earning because your earning seems to be tied to or even limited by your skills. Yeah, your skills or your available hours. Exactly. I call it available inventory, right? And so that's where your creativity kicks in. And it happened pretty early in my freelance career. I started in April 2009. I would have clients who needed services or they needed some part of the overall project picture colored in. I didn't have those skills. I could not code. I could not set up a WordPress website all by myself. I could not design web pages. I couldn't create a new visual identity. And so what I did was, well, tapped my friends. I had freelance friends or call them colleagues, if you like. But I went out and I found friends who could join me. And it was actually pretty cool because it meant I got to put together the team. And going back to your earlier question, my soft skills came in really handy when it meant increasing my freelance income because I started adding to my proposals project management, right? Like somebody has to interface with the designer. Someone has to interface with the developer. Somebody has to say, hey, you're going to meet the deadline still, right? And so project management was something I charged for. And that was a skill that I just sort of developed over time. It wasn't a hard skill that I had at the beginning. It actually, the project management side of things actually enabled me to increase what I was earning without always increasing the limited number of my hours that I was pouring into a project, right? And so there are a number of different ways beyond just leveraging your own skills to make more money as a freelancer I call it the antique shop model. It's almost like consignment where you earn a percentage off of other people that you bring in and the skills and pieces they contribute to a project. You can switch to fixed price, fixed scope projects where you're delivering the outcome and it doesn't matter how long it takes you to do the work. You're getting paid to deliver the website. You're not getting paid per hour to write or design or code, you can create digital products. And it's actually, there's that progression I see quite a bit with freelancers where they sell their skills for a while. And then they're like, wait, you know what? I could actually create checklists or content calendars for other social media managers. So I would just encourage listeners, if you feel in a way trapped by your own skills, just don't believe that. That's that's a mental trap, not a real trap. Take a step back, look around at all the other freelancers out there, and you have anywhere from five to 20 other ways to use your hard and soft skills to make money, but in less time. I like that. We've seen what I've called the side hustle path in action before, where it goes from freelancing on the side from your day job, and maybe you turn that into a full-time thing. And you graduate to a productized service offering, you know, fixed deliverables for a fixed price, and then ultimately creating your own products, either to sell to the same audience or to kind of an ancillary audience. So I like that kind of progression there. But let's say we've got our list of skills down on paper, taking note that you probably are taking for granted the skills you already have. Like Austin said, if you're good at something, you probably have a blind spot there, something that I know I probably take for granted myself where it's like, it doesn't seem like a skill because you're just, you've been doing it for so long. So you've got your, your big list there. I like this idea of setting a timer. So you have um, some deadline to this as many as you can during this fixed amount of time. Tell me about if I have a list of five, 10, 15, 20 on this piece of paper, how are you narrowing that down to the one that might even be feasible to, to move to the next step with? Some of those skills are going to be more marketable than others. Circle the top three. And if you need help, you can go scope around on Upwork and Fiverr and even figure out, okay, 
which of the skills that I already have are shared by some of the top producers in these freelance marketplaces. So you can look outside of yourself to validate which ones are most marketable, but you're just going to find it easier to sell something that there's already a lot of demand for. Are you basing that on like the number of gigs or the number of reviews that some of these other service providers have? Right. So if you have folks who have done a hundred different projects and maybe they've earned a hundred thousand dollars on Upwork, that's a strong indication that there's a high consistency of projects too. So you look at their number of reviews. If there are people who have a very unusual skill or they're working with a very niche specific piece of technology, it may, maybe you have that skill, but you also need to just factor in, okay, maybe I could get one project with that skill, but could I get a hundred? Could I truly build a business around that? Some businesses are harder to build than others. Some freelance skills are valuable, but simply harder to sell than others. And so I recommend, hey, pick the ones that are going to be easiest to sell, not the hardest. Do you ever roll up to Upwork with either yourself or with a, a student and say, well, there's already 5,000 service providers in this niche. There can't possibly be room for me. I think differentiation is always a real concern, but I think that's where your freelance positioning comes into play. I define positioning as what clients really want plus what makes you special equals killer positioning. So it's something you would want to do eventually anyway as a freelancer. It's much, much better to hop into an already crowded freelance market like I said, because there's clear demand for that skill set. So hop into that crowded market and then develop a really great positioning for yourself and use that positioning to attract clients. So I totally understand the, the tension between red ocean and blue ocean and creating your own blue ocean. And with freelancing, your positioning is how you create a blue ocean for yourself. All right. Well, let's, let's dive in there. Let's talk about that. This is the balance between what clients really want and a couple other factors. Would you mind repeating those? Right. So killer positioning is what clients really want plus what makes you special. And in terms of what clients really want, most of the time they want to see their problems disappear. For freelancers who are established, have gotten in some reps, have done some projects, it's going to be easier for them to know what their their customers or clients are really after. If you're newer to the game, there's an easy way to figure out what clients really want, and that is to talk to them. And you don't just say, hey, what do you want? But you ask them, hey, when it comes to your website, or when it comes to your accounting, or when it comes to graphic design, or Instagram, or Wherever you plan to point yourself and your freelance business, you say, hey, what's been easy? What's been challenging? You essentially ask open-ended questions. You know, if you can get a family member or a friend who could potentially be a client to tell you what their struggles have been, it's going to be a whole lot easier for you to develop a really deep understanding of what clients who could potentially hire you and who have money and who value your skill set, what is it they're grappling with on a day-to-day basis? For example, you could have an attorney friend who knows that they should send out email newsletters on a regular basis. But if your attorney friend can charge 375 bucks an hour for his advisory services, it's beneath his pay grade to write content for email newsletters to set them up in ConvertKit or MailChimp or ActiveCampaign or wherever and to send them out. So a value proposition begins to come into focus when you see the intersection between what you can do and what the client really needs. And then meanwhile, in like the area of what makes you special, I love having a good time. I love joking around. And so my sense of humor, I think, makes the experience of working with me a lot more satisfying, a lot more fun. So 
I would just say to people, like, don't discount all of those soft skills. Don't forget that there's more to thriving in business than just your hard skills. Like if you have an incredible memory when it comes to pop culture and you could win a million bucks if you're ever to land on a game show because you could answer all the questions, then like really showcase your personality. Talk about what you like about what makes you special, right? If you were valedictorian in high school or if you have an incredible voice or you're the karaoke queen, whatever, all of that stuff needs to make it into your positioning into your brand because people want to hire people that they like. They don't just hire a vendor who has no brand and no personality. I think those conversations are probably hard to overstate the importance of having these types of pain discovery conversations when it comes to your fill in the blank, what's been easy, what's been challenging, what's been preventing you from uh, making progress on this? Like, where does it hurt? Basically, you're going to the doctor, where does it hurt? And then trying to match those up with a potential skill that you have or a potential skill that you could learn and then and then go from there. So true. I mean, I use this example a lot that no one goes shopping for a hip replacement. However, someone in need of a hip replacement loves the idea of going on a hike with her grandkids, loves the idea of being able to become a yoga instructor again because it's no longer painful, loves the idea of being very active for the next 20, 30, 40 years. So you think about the transformation people are after, the outcome, the the desired end state. And a lot of that goes back to messaging and how you tell the story about your services. But with positioning, when we're not fully confident in our skills, we tend to think that other people are hyper-focused on our skills, when in fact other people are thinking, man, I have hip pain. Man, it sure would be nice to go on a hike, right? And so rather than be so focused on our own skills, our own ability to deliver and perform, I think it helps to shift the focus and say, hey, what sort of short-term results and long-term transformation are my potential clients after? That's what I should be talking about. That's what I should be selling. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Well, that also frees you up from that skills trap to say, 
well, it's no longer necessarily about I'm hiring Austin Church for his expertise in this particular area. I'm hiring him because now I trust him to be able to get this done. Whether or not he does it himself, whether he finds a subcontractor, however it happens, doesn't really matter to me because now I'm sold on the actual pain going away and the long-term benefits of doing that. 100%. There are certain people out there who are amazing listeners. It's actually why I have a secret theory that a lot of introverts are better at sales. The person doing the talking is doing the selling. So if you're on the shyer side, then you have a really good list of open-ended questions and you can get people to talk about the problems that they want to go away. They are selling themselves on working with you if you take good notes and say, I heard you say that blogging consistently has been a real struggle. Did I catch that? I wrote that down. Is, is that what you meant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so by the time you end a conversation like that, they feel seen, they feel heard. And none of that had anything to do with how much experience you have with crafting effective blog posts, but everything to do with how can I make your life better? Yeah, that, that frees you up to play matchmaker. Well, I know somebody who's a great writer. Let's see if we can play that game and maybe take a fee on the top or just, you know, maybe a finder's fee for connecting the two. Lots of different angles to go there. What other open-ended questions do you like during these kind of discovery conversations? Sometimes it seems like the more basic, the more effective. I'll say, why are we here? Or what happened that made you reach out? What happened that made you start looking for brand consultants? That's a lot of what I do now is brand consulting. Or, you know, when you imagine where you want to be three years from now, what's holding you back? What are the current impediments? And I know that it will start to sound a little bit like business coaching or business consulting, and that's okay. I had one client say, you're kind of like a business therapist where I come and just dump a bunch of stuff in your lap and you help me get clarity. But I know having done it now for 12 years that you can quickly separate yourself from other freelancers simply trying to offer clients a good deal if you can win a client's confidence by listening carefully and helping them articulate their own problems and needs and articulate the desired outcome. Then in a proposal, you give them a couple of options for what the really great outcome would be. And if you anchor that against the value of the outcome, you can charge 10x what the freelancer down the street would have charged for quote-unquote copywriting services or quote-unquote logo design. Honestly, that's how I went from charging 40 bucks an hour to selling $40,000 projects. I mean, it's an order of magnitude, bigger project value. It was a more consultative, and I even think sensitive approach, sensitive and caring approach to sales. And I never liked sales. It made me feel icky. But then when I just realized like, oh, it's really just caring about people and wanting to help make pain go away, that unlocked a lot for me. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think this is the this is the way to let the prospect or the customer kind of steer the conversation. And you can even ask them, what, what is this problem costing you? You know, or what would the solution be worth to you? Like if we can make this pain go away, what would that be worth to you, right? Perfect. Yes. And they may anchor it at a much higher price than you had in your mind. It's so that frees you up to start commanding better rates, even even right out of the gate, even if you're kind of this newer freelancer, by being a consultative listener in the sales process rather than just sticking your flag in the sand and say, I do Instagram marketing for 250 bucks a month. That's right. And effective sales, I think, comes down to empathy. And so to help even brand new freelancers position themselves as these highly empathetic, careful listening types will set them up for success because they will be not just craftspeople. Like I have skills that got me into business. Sure. And I love writing and I always want to write. And in many respects, I care about craft. I care about quality, but I started my freelance business became a lot more satisfying and sustainable 
when I had a, a mindset and paradigm shift from being a craftsperson, a craftsman, to being a concierge. Tell me about all the problems you want solved. Surely I can solve several of them. And if the disappearance of your problems, you know, if your problems are expensive enough, then their disappearance will be valuable. So let me facilitate that disappearance and then you can compensate me accordingly. And sure enough, the price tag for the the sudden disappearance of the problem was much higher than if I had just been a craftsman selling words. Yeah, that does sound a lot like business therapy. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, now, outside of starting these conversations with friends, family, people in your network, how would you go about as a new freelancer to strike up these conversations or even figure out what type of person that you'd want to talk to? Sure. That's, again, I love your questions. I typically recommend you start with your interests. What are you already interested in? I love barbecue and business and bourbon and my family and travel. And like, you could list out all these things, right? I love cooking documentaries and blah, blah, blah. And once you have that list, take the list of your skills, hard skills and soft skills, and the list of your interests, see where they overlap. And so if you're really into politics or you're really into tech startups or you're really into photography, maybe you could pick a couple of niches. I I don't know if this is common advice or not, but I don't say just pick one niche, especially at the beginning if you're still gaining experience because you don't know if you like that niche or not. You might think, oh, it'd be really cool to be a ghostwriter for political candidates. You might end up hating the work. Hey, I think it'd be really cool to be a ghostwriter for attorneys. You might love the work. So pick a couple of niches based on how your interests and skills overlap, and then come up with three core offers that you can begin testing out in the market. And Nick, going back to your earlier question, okay, where do you find clients? There are so many different ways to get freelance clients. And I love that question because like, how do I get clients? Because I think that is the nut that if you crack it as a freelancer, your business and your life just get a whole lot easier. So I always recommend that people start with their existing personal network. I'll ask the question, okay, you're freelancing now. Awesome. You've got skills. Maybe you've even put together some offers like, oh, two blog posts a month for X number of dollars, whatever. Do all of your friends and family know that you are available for hire or at least a majority percentage? People who already know, like, and trust you, do they know that you're even available to do this? I've never gotten a yes. I don't know why we like freelance in secret. I don't know. Like we're ashamed, you know, I'm a freelance graphic designer. Don't look at me. I'm hideous. It is so weird. It's the same thing. You know, I remember like in the early days of of the blog, it's like, I want people to read this, but I want my friends to read it. But I'm going to tell no one, right? (laughs) Yeah. I want strangers on the internet to somehow find it. I don't know what I was thinking, but I'm with you there. It's a weird phenomenon, but as soon as I point it out, I'm like, hey, I understand. I really understand, and I do think there's some honor in thinking, okay, if I'm a beginner, I might make some mistakes, and I just don't want to make my mistakes on friends and family, like people I already have relationships with. I don't want to damage those relationships. I'm like, I get that, but those are also the people who are going to be most forgiving with your mistakes. They're also the people who have the biggest incentive to help you find your way, a lot of my early client, like one of the very first freelance projects I did was I wrote a bio for a band. And it just so happened that the lead singer in the band was my roommate, right? So like, duh, he's like, well, I can send 50, I forget, it was like 50 bucks. It was nothing. I can send 50 bucks your way. And I'm like, great. I can pay my part of the utilities bill this month. So very first thing, like if you think about marketing as concentric circles, the very first thing, the very first circle can and should be tell everyone you already know that you're looking for projects. Ask, hey, do you know anyone who has a dead blog? Or do you know anyone who's trying to figure out Instagram? I wouldn't say, do you know anyone looking for a a copywriter? 
people usually don't go around thinking about the skill set. They go around thinking about the problem, kind of like the hip replacement. Like, where is a surgeon? No, they're like, I want to be able to hike again. Do you know anyone who would really love to have an awesome blog, right? So other thing at play here that's really important to remember is if you had a job before, you know, you worked in the admissions department at a university and now you're doing freelance writing. Well, most of the people in your network still remember you as working at the admissions department. So you have to make a concerted effort to talk to a lot of people, post on Facebook, post on LinkedIn, post on Instagram, wherever you spend a lot of time, talk about the new thing that you're doing a lot so that you can replace people's old knowledge of you with the new knowledge of you. And now I know that people who still have nine to five jobs sometimes feel weird about sort of trumpeting their freelance services. If they've still got this job over here, like I even remember in a past episode, Nick, you talking about the one boss that said it was like unethical for an employee. I don't, that honestly is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, but that's a conversation for another time. Right. But okay, fine. Just create a second LinkedIn profile where that is your freelance profile. And if, you know, as long as you're not violating a non-compete, I would not recommend that. But there was the guy in the Facebook group who said, what's the difference between running a marathon or running a business? It's your free time. Totally agree with that. So come up with your freelance profile on LinkedIn. If your boss happens to find it, you're like, oh yeah, it's just something I do in my free time. Um, playing around with it. It's been fun to do an experiment and make sure that you talk about what you're doing a lot. It could just be a new quote that you discovered from Seth Godin that you love. It could be, Hey, I was reading this article about how to write great web content. And here are a few tips for headlines, whatever you're learning, share it. And slowly, but surely you'll edit people's Nick file or their Austin file or their Jennifer file. So it won't say admissions counselor at university. It will now be freelance writer, freelance writer, freelance writer, freelance graphic designer. People need repeated exposure to remember things. So you have to make it impossible for people to forget by talking about it all the time until you feel like a broken record. That's the way you sort of reach I don't know if saturation is the right word, but in that first circle of people who already know, like, and trust you, just make sure that everyone knows. Like, people can't care if they don't know, but once people know, you'll be surprised at how much they care. A lot of people would love to give you some of your early freelance gigs if they know. Yeah, they can't care unless they know, and I think that's a really important note there, the power of repetition. You make one post, hey, I'm starting this freelance fill-in-the-blank business. You know, if you know anybody, send them my way. Better than nothing, absolutely. But through repeated exposure, like, oh, they were serious about that. Come to think of it, I do know somebody who might be able to use their help or use their services. I think that's important. And the other thing that you mentioned was narrowing it down to the specific problem that you're trying to solve versus saying, I'm a copywriter. So if somebody comes across through their own, you know, over the course of their day-to-day life, they encounter somebody else with that problem, you know, hopefully that little spark goes off in their head. Oh, I remember seeing something from uh, from Nick on Facebook about that. I might have somebody who could, who could help you with that. So I think that's really a powerful way to be able to tap in, not just to your network, but really to your network's network in that, in that sense. That's right. Like I mentioned earlier that I'm a brand consultant. We help online creators and entrepreneurs build brands that people really care about and love. No one walks around saying, you know what? I could really use a brand consultant today. That's not the way that, but they, they say things like we have an incredible story and we're not very good at telling it. They say, man, our customers love us. They stay with us for years, but my gosh, our website's terrible. It's so outdated. It's, it's embarrassing. The way they describe the problem, the way your potential client or your prospect describes their problems is often very different 
than the way you think about your skills or you think about the problems you're solving. And so one easy way to find language to figure out how your prospects are thinking about their own problems, if you're a copywriter or graphic designer, find 20 competitors and go and read their client testimonials and read how the clients talk about what their life was like before. What are the specific words and phrases? They didn't just say, we wanted a mobile responsive website. They're like, we had an outdated website. It didn't look good on our computers, let alone on our phones. And then Tim came in and he created a beautiful website that we're super proud of. And it looks great on everything. Awesome. Now you know exactly how to sell new websites. You don't sell mobile-friendly or mobile-responsive websites. You use that language, like the layperson's language, not the technician's or the expert's language, right? So if you have no clients yet, you're newer to freelancing, no problem. Go look at the websites of all these established freelancers. Look at the testimonials, and you mine other people's testimonials for the words and phrases, and then... And you can take those words and phrases, and when you have friends who are like, okay, cool, I'll let you know if anybody needs your help, you're like, thanks. And by the way, they probably won't just say, we need a freelance copywriter. Here are the words and phrases that they'll use. So keep your ears open and listen for that. And sure enough, you'll get more referrals. I promise. Okay. Are you doing that level of research and and maybe personal outreach before or after these kind of pain-finding discovery calls? It's sort of in concert because if you do that interview with a prospective client, it could just be a friend or family member. You think you might want to help attorneys and you already know an attorney. So you're like, would you spend 30 minutes with me and answer some questions? And I'm, I'm not going to pitch you at the end. Most people will say, sure, happy to help. So they'll give you some language, but... It all sort of happens together where you figure out who you want to serve. That's really important. Pick people that you can enjoy serving. Spend a little bit of time with them. You get some language from them. You get language from your colleagues or competitors' testimonials. Meanwhile, you're sort of gaining clarity around the major problems to be solved. As you gain clarity around the problems to be solved, you you gain clarity around what your three or four core offers can be. What are you even going to sell? Don't sell graphic design services. Sell Instagram graphics packages. It's a subtle difference to to talk about an open-ended service tied to your skill set and to talk about a clear and valuable offer that has a promise, a process, a price, emotional benefits, short-term results, and a long-term outcome. It's just v- very different. Yeah, and maybe and maybe something with a recurring element as well, just because and maybe graphic design is a is a good example of that because I've historically thought of like, well, it's tough to proactively market a service like that because from my own experience in buying graphic design, it's like, well, when I need a book cover made or a t-shirt design, like I will go, go and seek out some help for that. But your way of saying, well, do you need graphics for your website, for Instagram, for Pinterest? Like, oh yeah, I probably do. And I probably need that on a recurring basis. And so that's a a one way to get around some of these, like, well, it's, it's an order taking business rather than something that can be marketed proactively. That was a cool way to go about it. I have four criteria that people can use to score their offers. Like, is this a good type of work to go after? And is my offer on point? And it is, do I like the work? I do think that's important. I think it's really hard to do your best work if you don't enjoy the work you're doing. So do I enjoy the work? Do I enjoy the people? If you resent your collaborators, you're probably not going to do your great work consistently. So do I enjoy the work? Do I enjoy the people? Can I make good money? And can I get this type of project consistently? And that's what you you hit on. Something like Instagram graphics is a great type of offer for a graphic designer. 
because the consistency of the work opens the door to a monthly retainer and retainers are a great way to regulate cash flow. If you cobble together two, three, four, five retainers and all those together comprise what your monthly freelance income target is, that means at the beginning of every month, you don't have to hustle so hard to drum up that next freelance project that there are some huge lifestyle benefits to that. Some peace of mind, you know, less anxiety. So Right, right. Because it's like, even if you're still charging by the hour, maybe it's $100 an hour, that doesn't account for all the time that you spent hunting down clients where you're getting paid zero. And so there's something, if you have some of your monthly income spoken for, so to speak, in terms of these recurring projects, that obviously sets yourself up for for a little bit of financial breathing room, hopefully a little less anxiety on the marketing front. That's right. I, I had a friend who thinks she was pretty good at what she did, but it was challenging for her to find enough new clients because she decided she wanted to specialize in book layouts and design. And I think that could be okay if you get in with a publisher and you have the same publisher passing you four or five new books every month. But she was flying solo and it was very, very difficult for her to fill her pipeline with high quality leads. And kind of going back to, well, how do I know if my offer is a good offer? Well, can you get this type of work consistently? And does it pay well consistently? And it's not rocket science to say, well, if if I can get it consistently and it pays well consistently, then I could build a sustainable and satisfying business around this. Well, you bring up a good point about this potential partnership angle in the in the book publishing case or the book layout case, where it's like maybe somebody else is already doing the marketing or maybe they are well-established and that's kind of how clients are used to doing business. The publisher is going to take care of it for me or whatever it may be in your niche. And so instead of trying to go directly to the clients, maybe you can get in bed somehow with who the clients are already doing business with. Amen. I just want to give you a virtual high five. (laughs) I think about it as a strategic partner. And depending on the niche and the type of work you want to go after, your strategic partners may look very different. But let's say, like I have a friend who's a UX designer, user experience designer. His strategic partners are agencies a lot of them will get like a big new software build or big new, they're designing the views and the screens and everything else for a new software product or new digital product, even a website. Well, they'll need someone to come in and help with the user experience design. But most of these small to mid-sized agencies don't have a UX designer on staff. And he knows this. So when I was coaching him, one of the things that I recommended is, Well, pick 20 or 30 or 50 agencies in your city or in your region. And it's obviously these days you can work with any agency in the world remotely, but sometimes having that local tie-in is even enough just to start the conversation. Hey, I noticed that we're both in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. That's really cool. You know, you have more of an excuse to reach out, but anyway they could be a strategic partner for him because if he has 20 or 30 agencies that all know, like, and trust him and can pass him the user experience design projects when they get him, he is their go-to strategic partner for that part of a big project. Even if each of them can only send him two projects a year, well, if he's got 10 to 20 agencies, sending him one to two projects a year, then awesome. That takes care of his marketing. And all he has to do is keep in touch with those people and stay top of mind. Or let's say you're a freelance writer and you decide, oh, I want to write, I want to be a ghostwriter for law firms. And then I want to handle all of their email marketing as well. Well, find the bar association in your state and offer to do a presentation to anyone who wants to show up. Here's how you should do email marketing as a Tennessee law firm or as a California law firm. So figure out 
who has the audience you want, figure out a way to deliver value to their audience. And this works with digital products too. It works all over the place. Who's not non-competitive and would love to partner with you. You make them look good. Like the writer makes the association look good if she shows up and just shares a lot of value about, hey, here's how to remove all these impediments with your email marketing. And there's some call to action at the end. And hey, if you want my checklist, then go to this website and you can download it for free. That's the way that the writer can generate leads in a way that is very honoring to her strategic partner, makes them look really good. And then who knows, maybe if the presentation is successful, she goes to the next state over and is like, hey, I just did this for the California Bar Association. Would love to do it for the Nevada Bar Association. And here's the link to the presentation, right? So that is scalable as well. Strategic partners, that whole angle on generating leads and filling your pipeline with great leads is quite scalable. Yeah, this works online. This works offline. We just heard from Josh Belk a few weeks ago with his mobile detailing business. His strategic partner was the local car dealership. Like, hey, you want a steady flow of cars that need work? Go to the source. Go to the dealership. You figure this out. You have that like eureka moment and you're like, wait a second. If I were one of my clients is an accounting firm. And they can and should, and they have formed strategic partnerships with wealth advisory firms. A lot of times as people are trying to figure out how to invest and what to do with their assets, they're creating new entities to hold those assets. And all of that adds complication when it comes to tax preparation. So, hey, what if this wealth manager or financial advisor just sent out a letter about the CPA firm, which is exactly what happened. That's called a host beneficiary offer. People can do a Google search for what a host beneficiary offer is. But like I said, a lot of people get super intimidated by marketing. Really, it can be pretty simple if you let it. Start with friends and family then figure out who might be able to give you leads consistently and it actually makes them look good in the process. Yeah, I love I love this strategy. This is something, it wasn't an agency, but when I was doing some freelance book editing or, or proofreading, I went to a popular self-publishing course, like an online course, and said, what to take to become you know one of your preferred vendors for editing. Genius. And, and that was it. It took one email. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, okay, you're, you're in. And so that was a steady source of new leads. We heard from uh, Joshua Lysak a few years ago, who was doing something similar to these like online presentations or educational webinars to get in front of other people's audiences where he would, you know, roll up, he would kind of do the conference room, lunchtime, power hour presentation on lunch and learn, baby. And yeah. You know, here, here's the seven deadly sins you're making with your website or whatever it was. Get everybody nodding along. Meanwhile, the accounting firm has invited their Rolodex of clients. They look like a hero because they're adding this extra value outside of their own service. There's no sales pitch necessary because he's just spent an hour establishing his own expertise and credibility. And, you know, by the end of it, people are like, when, when can we book a call? Do we have to talk? And you know, we're guilty of at least five of these. I think that's a really, really powerful way to go. So thinking about the agencies, thinking about the strategic partnerships, thinking about who your potential or target customers are already doing business with? How can you establish those relationships and go from there? And I like this idea. So often it starts with your own network because it's that's who you know. And I mean, it was the same way starting the Side Hustle show where it was going through my Gmail contacts history. And I know I've told this story before, but like literally typing in letters of the alphabet to see what would pop up in the suggested autocomplete for who should he email now? And it's like, hey, started this show and you could do this, the same thing. You know, hey, I started this freelance-based business. I'm not asking you to hire me, but just that you keep me in mind. If you've come across anybody who could use some help in this area, here I am. That's right. So this is a fun little tactic and it isn't nearly as time-consuming as you think, but most email providers these days will let you export a CSV file of all of the email addresses that you've ever sent an email to. 
And once you get that CSV file, you can upload it to G Sheets and more or less turn it into your new database, your new Rolodex. And obviously you can go and call out all of the rows that were you responding to a Craigslist listing for a used lawnmower, right? Like there's going to be some trash in there, but... Hey, remember me, lawnmower guy? Yeah. Hey, just curious if, you know, you want to hire me for some uh, freelance photography, right? Because your photo of the lawnmower was not good, which is why I bought it off you for cheap. But anyway, you whittle down the list until you have... My criterion is, would each of these people not mind hearing from me? And I ended up with folks that I was like colleagues at old jobs and people I went to college with and... Somebody I met once at a Airbnb, you're like, you know what I mean? It's like, it ends up being a pretty random mix of folks, but you can either use, I actually wouldn't use MailChimp for this, but I would just drop everybody into BCC and then send a life update. You don't even have to talk about freelancing yet, but just say, okay, so some of you know, we bought our first house. Yay. And it like literally just tell people what's going on in your life. And then maybe in the PS or maybe toward the end, you're like, oh, by the way, I started freelancing. It's been super exciting. I may email again about that. Email number two, you talk about freelancing, what you've learned recently, what it's been like, some of your challenges, some of your early wins. And again, this is from the heart. You're not pitching anything. You are updating people in your life on what's been going on. And you can ask them what's been going on too, because I think it's natural for people to to reply with some reciprocity there. Like, hey, it's been a crazy year. Fun fact, it's always been a crazy year. It doesn't matter <laughs> what year it is. It's always been a hey, crazy year. What's been going on in your life? What's new in your world? And you will have the sweetest reconnections that happen that have nothing. This person will never send you a freelance referral, but it was so cool to reconnect with that person that you haven't spoken to in a while, right? So there are some benefits here aside from what might happen for your freelance business. It's just great to reconnect with people. And it's actually kind of a good segue. The whole goal is to start conversations. It's not like to pull money out of people's pockets. If you shift your mark, your thoughts about marketing to, I'm spreading the word. I'm giving people a chance to care and I'm starting conversations, then the pressure is off to be some sort of marketing guru, which most marketing gurus are, they actually don't come off the right way. You will come across as natural and likable if you think about, I need to start conversations with people who really need my help. And then email number three in that little sequence I was mentioning earlier, that's when you talk about the type of work that you want to do, That's when you can pull in some of that research from colleagues or competitors' testimonials, maybe a few insights from the interview you did. You say, people who I can help say these things about their problems. So if you know an attorney or you know a local chef who needs needs help with Instagram or email marketing, let me know. I'd love, you know, one conversation can't hurt. And again, you don't have to be super salesy. When you're going to meet with that person, you're just going to be like, oh, so why do you think Jim connected us? And then you let the conversation flow naturally from there. And if there's a chance for you to do a freelance project for that person, it will emerge naturally. You don't have to shoehorn yourself into that person's business. And I mean, this is more or less the way that I've built my business over the last 12 years starting conversations and looking for ways to serve. That's how it all works. So that email series was first the general life update and asking, hey, what's going on in your world? Second is the professional update. And third is the story plus offer plus call to action. Hey, do you know anybody? That kind of thing without being overly pitchy. You send in those over the course of over a week, over a month. Just curious on the timing there. I'd probably send it over 10 days. Okay. So again, people just tend to forget because there's a lot going on in other people's lives. So you're not sending the emails back to back, three three emails, three days, but you might even say, oh yeah, I'll send a business update next week. And then a couple days after that, and you can use the PS, you can use, 
pull in a few email marketing tactics and use the PS to be like, hey, by the way, I didn't say much about my new freelance business. I'll probably send a second email about that. Second email, hey, PS, some of you might be wondering what types of projects I'm going to focus on. I'll send another email about that, right? So you're just you're committing to sending another email, space them out two, three, four days apart. And then you just more or less keep in touch. Your fourth email could be asking people to opt out if they don't want to hear from you again about what you're up to with freelancing. And then surprise, now you have the beginnings of your email list. And I email my list weekly. There you go. Well, Austin, what's going on uh, with you these days? You got the brand consulting thing. You've got austinlchurch.com. What else has got you excited? Our kids are back in school in person, but in a way that's honoring all the protocols. And I'm super excited. About, I know that's not digital product or online business related, but I'm quite excited about that. I'm working on a book about freelancing and it has been so satisfying. Writing was my first love. And to just put the stories and the lessons and principles down, it makes me happy. If I write in the morning, I'm sort of happy the rest of the day. Have you got a title for it? Working titles, Freelance Cake, which is the same title as the course, the freelance business growth course that I created and launched last December. The other thing that I've been kicking around that I will launch this year, I don't have an exact date yet, is a group coaching program for established freelancers. I think of them as frustrated freelancers who feel like they've kind of hit a ceiling and they want to want to make the transition to confident consultants. So like frustrated freelancer to confident consultants, very much like this very specific slice of people in my world. And that transition comes down to positioning, packaging, pricing, and pipeline. So I'm excited to work more closely with a smaller group of people and help them see that transformation. So this is the very first place I've shared it other than with my wife. So I didn't exactly mean to make the big announcement. But now it's out there. Now it's official. Now I have to do it, right? So, but thanks for asking. I appreciate that. You bet. And I'll keep us, uh, keep us posted on it. We'll add it into the, the show notes whenever that is, is ready to go. The four P's of freelancing. Now, if you hit up austinlchurch.com slash side hustle, you'll find a free video course that will help you take action on everything we talked about today. That's austinlchurch.com slash side hustle. Austin, thank you so much for joining me. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. Pay attention to what wants to happen. When you first get into freelancing, it seems like the wild, wild west and you may have a lot of opportunities and then you think, well, I'm going to go after this one. But oftentimes the second or third project or opportunity or client or whatever is the thing that's more scalable, the thing that will be more sustainable and satisfying. So just keep your eyes open. And maybe another way to put it is look for the easiest money you can make in freelancing. Oh, interesting. Okay. Pay attention to what wants to happen. That actually hits home for me because I guess like you, I thought of myself as a writer first. It was something that I always loved. But the first year of the podcast, it was pretty clear that the podcast was gaining traction much faster than the blog was. And so it was this, okay, pay attention to what wants to happen. Let's double down on this audio format. I like that one. That's right. When I was first getting started, I thought of myself as a writer, but my clients kept on saying, and what should we do with the writing once we've got it? Or can you help us find a designer? Or could you come sit in on this meeting and help us vet this person that we want to hire to help with marketing? And I'm like, I don't know anything about HR, but pay attention to what wants to happen. It's almost like the skills or the perceived skills that are being bestowed upon you Perception is reality. If your client thinks you're good at this other thing, you might as well run with it or at least pay attention to it. So I think that's pretty good advice there. Well, it has served me and I hope it serves some of your people. Very good. Again, austinlchurch.com, austinlchurch.com slash side hustle for that free video series on how to take action on what we talked about today. Austin, thanks again. And we'll catch up with you soon. 
Once again, you'll find the full text summary of this call with Austin at SideHustleNation.com slash Austin L. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen, and I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.